Steve. Richie. Gets... What, get, okay, fuck that up already. Fuck it, I'm not <laughs> going to cut that out. It's fine. It's a jazz, baby. So guess what's happening in two days? In two days? In two days. Um, I'll tell you what's happening in two days. It's the one year anniversary of our first episode being put up. No way. Yeah. And you know what's even crazier? Go. Is that on the one year anniversary of our first episode going up, we're launching a new podcast. More specifically, I guess I should say you're launching a new podcast. That's not true. You're in it too. <laughs> That's true as well. But this is your harebrained idea. That is true. <laughs> so tell me about your new harebrained idea, Steve. Why should I give a shit? Aside from the fact that I'm a part of it. <laughs> My new harebrained idea is a new uh, news and politics discussion podcast called Newsy. Mm. The premise of this is that I'm going to gather together intelligent, witty, and hopefully insightful people. Um, I'm already that- seeing a flaw in this plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 50% of the panel, everyone already knows by listening to this podcast, those um, adjectives are not appropriate. Anyway, um, my intention is is to gather the people that I know are smart and can talk about the news and love reading about the news and just want to talk about it anyway um, to record them chatting about things that have happened every two weeks uh, in a 60 minute podcast. Mm-hmm. So we were thinking that it might be appropriate um, to drop the first episode into the feed so mm-hmm. that our wonderful What Am um, What Amies, is that a good name for our fans? Um, I, I, a while back on Twitter someone said WAP Chaps WAP Chaps, oh yeah. that's class and when I say someone on Twitter I mean me. <laughs> I was wondering why I didn't actually notice it. I would have like, I would have thought that was so amazing if that was like a, a naturally formed thing. Okay, fine. Yeah. Wap chats. Wap chat. Oh, no, that's, that's not going to work. That, it's, that's not like gender specific. You can call like anyone chaps. You can call anyone guys. You can call anyone girls if you want. We don't really care. Okay. Also, I'm not married to it. it wap chaps is kind of stupid. It is. And I already said wap chat. So it's, it's, it's just, it doesn't ro- roll off the tongue so well. Anyway. Uh, another thing to note about Newsy is that it's going to be a little bit different in tone because again, we're, we're diving deeper into the news. So that was one of the things we found in the survey when we sent out that survey a while back is that people really missed well, the brief period where we cut out the what I'm happening section. People really missed it and they liked when we talked about current events. But due to the nature of our show and the amount of stuff we have to cover and we can only really touch them on a, on a very introductory superficial level so the whole point of this podcast is to dive deeper into it and try and sink our teeth into it a little bit more so there's less time for like silly jokes about what a taint is <laughs> or or you know trump's hair or whatever um and more focus on like good proper political discourse i guess so there's a little tone shift, but there's still jokes. It's we still do, funny. we do, st- we, yeah. When we do, still make inappropriate jokes with caveats. Um, yeah. So following this, you will hear newsy. Um, we're not sure if the episode you're about to listen to will have intro music. If it doesn't, please just be aware that we will have some really sweet music coming along from the wonderful supermarket love. I have a contingency plan in case we don't have music. Okay, I'm just gonna. Don't tell me. Don't tell the listeners. You're either going to hear fantastic professionally produced music from um, the wonderful music supermarket love, or you're going to hear whatever crackpots crazy scheme Richie has in store for us. Hey, Newsy, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Newsy. Hey, Newsy. (laughs) So let me have a couple of seconds of silence just makes it easier to edit at the start. Does it really? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hello there and welcome to Newsy. This is a podcast that is going to review the most important and also probably sometimes the not important political news from the world over. To do this, we are going to assemble a panel of crack news junkies to gather every two weeks, jabber on about the topics that they think it is worthwhile knowing knowing more about. Uh, So I am Steve Byrne. I'm a resident of Dublin, Ireland, co-host of What Am Politics, a pretty fantastic podcast that you guys should definitely check out. And in fact, you're you're probably listening to this show on its feed so uh, in the future when i reference what i'm politics it will be giving it a shout out but right now you know about what i'm politics because that's how you heard about this show and uh, we also have david helian who hello. didn't realize that was the key to say hello <laughs> he's, he's a um, mute he's mute so you won't be hearing a lot from him he's yeah, purely through sign language <laughs> <laughs> he is a political hack living in Berlin, uh, biding his time working in the fashion industry until he can study again. Uh, he is prone to musical outbursts and conspiratorial hot takes, which is the word of the day, hot takes. And it's even better when you say it in a limerick accent like the uh, Rubber Bandits podcast. Uh, Richie Nolan is the other co-host of What Am Politics, apparently. Woo! 
the first and only Irish person to emigrate to London. Never happened before. Uh, he is also the winner of Kildare Town's Most Improved Player of the Year Award 2002. Yeah, for actually for, for GA, for Irish football. Sorry, I never specified that when I sent over my intro. Oh, I thought it was just like you guys have a reunion in Kildare and you just got like the most improved no, no, no. This is like when I was 12 years old and there was a big award ceremony where they were giving out actual legitimate proper awards for, you know, competent athletic folks. And then, you know, Richie got his most improved player of the year award because, you know, everyone needs to get something. Yeah, that's the snowflake um, method of, of parenting. I didn't realize it was, it was going in 2002 as well. Oh, yeah, though, that's that's where my my woke leftism started. And that was in that moment. <laughs> And we also have Chan Skinny, former resident of Taiwan and Ireland, but a present resident of San Francisco. And um, by his own admission, for some crazy reason, he went back to the States. Uh, he is one of the people that Richie left behind when he ran very quickly away once the Trump regime took power. The Trump regime took power. Uh, yeah, so sorry, Chance. sorry about that, Chance. Yeah, thank, th- thanks, man. Appreciate that. Well, it's not his fault. <laughs> no, I did. Like, I ran by his house and I just left him there. <laughs> he could have taken him in the suitcase. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't want to risk it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, so let's get straight into it. This isn't one of those top podcasts where you sit around talking about random stuff like trying to make jokes off introductions and stuff like that. We don't do that on this show. No, Aww. this is a serious, serious show. So first, let's talk about that weird sports club that they have in the Swiss mountains where all the rich people and politicians get together. Uh, I believe it's Davos. Chance, uh, you've been having a look at this. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a it's pretty good uh, pretty good description. Um, it's just a bunch of rich people getting together. It's I mean it started with just European rich people getting together, but then you know over time after the seventies they figured out oh, yeah we'll invite everyone else. Um, currently, it's made up of business leaders from around the world, but there's also um, economists. Journalists, uh, the journalists, I think this year were mainly there to um, to boo Trump when he gave, <laughs> when he gave his speech. Um, and they, you know, they just talk about the ways they think they can make the world better. Like a good example is um, the CEO of Alibaba and um, Jack Ma. So he, uh, he was talking about the future and uh, of our, you know, artificial intelligence and robots and how there's going to be a lot of jobs that are made redundant. So he he was talking about, well, you know, students need to go to university. They need to start studying um, arts and music and all of these things that robots can't copy. And it's things like that. It's been criticized a lot in the press for, for being a conference that exists mostly for the people that go to it, which is every industry conference ever. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, I, I think I think the I think the main point of it really is just uh, again like any industry conference ever is just an excuse for everyone that goes there to just have banging parties, uh, which I'm pretty sure Trump was not not invited to uh, uh, this year. Yeah, probably not. Um, so the industry that this conference is is running the world. I guess it's, it's a pretty in, big one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that will explain why it gets a bit more attention than the, um, I don't know, uh, playing cards convention in uh, I don't know, wherever wherever they put that on. I presume they can't afford to have that conference on in Las Vegas. Oh, PCCon? Man, it's good. it gets better every year. <laughs> you know, that probably does affect more people. Than Davos? <laughs> Everyone plays cards. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> uh, so you, you like you would write it off as being not that actual impactful on the world at large. It's kind of just people pay too much attention because you have politicians come up and making crazy speeches. Yeah, well, I mean, not just politicians. You know, whether it's uh, business executives and things like that. But does it not spark any sort of change or? or- like, do we have any sort of tangible benefits from recent years at all, or is it completely just faffing about? I'm skeptical about that. I, I think it is just a lot of a lot of talk, and I think that it might be a little bit more in that direction this year, just because of the Trump effect. Because oh, you know, all of these other business, the United States, needless to say, still a, a, a huge uh, economic power, and they they don't really know what to expect, right? All of, all of these people that are in business, they want 
stability. That yep. That's how they prefer to run their business. And Trump's not really about that. You take a Trump speech, like no Trump speech by itself is going to be particularly important because the man changes what he's saying from, you know, sometimes from at one hour to the next hour. Sentence <laughs> Some, to sentence. Sometimes mid-sentence, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't really put much stock in what he's saying. And I think that it kind of inevitably has a an impact on what everyone else is saying at the conference because everything that they're going to be saying is is looking into the future and if they don't really know what they're going to be doing then uh, it's it's kind of hard to really wasn't trump's speech very fairly kind of vanilla you know it was pretty standard there was no was strong reactions tame. to it one way or the other yeah, it was but i mean that's the thing though right like he's yeah. he makes one of those speeches today maybe he doesn't tomorrow and then the other thing is you know he just imposed tariffs on solar cells and uh washing machines right and that's the opposite of what davos is about like davos is about globalism it's a bunch of business leaders from the world getting together to talk about doing business together david what's your take so in terms of how important davos actually is um i'm not sure how important it is outside of the political speakers going there to speak uh, everyone's watching what donald trump is saying and other uh, political leaders but I think there's a certain amount of scope that the business leaders have to kind of explore different ideas but also to be a little bit like hyperbolic in their approach um, I was reading during the, the Salesforce lunch at the summit uh, the CEO of Siemens said that uh, when it was in the future he expected that either cars would be automated or on fire <laughs> because of glo- global inequality and, and rising global inequality um, which is a bit rich coming from the CEO of a company that has, I think, drives more revenue than Facebook, Google, or Facebook and Google combined, I think. Um, Siemens? Really? Really? Yeah. Still? Siemens is huge. <laughs> huge. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting to see what the business leaders think and, and what they're doing to, to kind of uh, approach topics that aren't necessarily related to their business and the pursuit of profit. But in terms of the political side of things, it's important. But for what the business leaders are saying, I'm not sure if many people are actually listening. So when you're looking at it from your conspiratorial mindsets, you don't see it as being the cowled figures making the decisions on behalf of the rest of us. You think they do that at Bilderberg and this is kind of more like a show one? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All the decisions are made behind closed doors, of course, not not at a, at a, at a free press event. But um, yeah, just to let people know, there is a similar conference um, that yeah, happens. There is. I think it's summertime and that's the Bilderberg group and uh, they, uh, they don't really keep open who they invite. They've got a little bit more open and since the uh, media has been more demanding of it and like there's been more so, um, opportunities to photograph people going in. But that's a, mm-hmm. that's a closed set. That's where you don't know who goes in, what they talk about. And quite a few people think that that's where the uh, global world order actually gets decided. Mm. Well, I mean, it's I mean, you saw the Oxfam report there a few weeks ago that uh, what is it, 42 people now have the same combined wealth as the poorest half of the planet. And that used to be 61 or 62 the previous year and 80 the previous year. So the, the wealth is concentrating. So it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that you could get some of those people in a room together once a year to make certain decisions. Uh, but anyway, whatever it's Davos or, or Bilderberg, um, in terms of what business leaders are saying, I, I wouldn't take too much heed. Um, geopolitics is what they're worried about. There was a survey done of those business leaders and they are mostly worried about geopolitics for their business. Things are getting a bit unstable. Uh, Ireland got a bit of flack. I don't know if you guys seen that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I kind of felt a bit a bit annoyed that Pascal Dunne, who didn't uh, really stick it to... Um, it was some economist, I can't remember where he was from. He was a UK-based, uh, pretty famous economist whose name I can't remember. Kind of going on the attack that like Ireland are stealing from other European countries based on the corporate tax rate, and I don't know. I think Pascal had an opportunity there to play to the home market and and play to the Irish electorate in particular, and and kind of say, well, do you know what? No, we're a sovereign country and we can set our own tax rates. But also, you know, a lot was taken from the Irish people in the bailout and and being forced to adopt certain policies of austerity um, in order to essentially bail out a wider. Uh, banking system in Europe so I think he kind of missed, missed the boat yeah, there it's not a new argument either he should like that is these are this is something that's been talked about before you think he would have a more ready response to those kind of um, accusations yeah, and he should and, and and fairness to Pascal he's, he's a he's a good politician and uh, you know he, he always has something to say and if he was taken from the Varadkar politics play, playbook at the moment uh, he should be playing up on the international stage because it seems to be working very well domestically yeah it certainly does uh, Leo Varadkar the recently 
Um, recently appointed Taoiseach of Ireland as poll ratings are shooting up and people yeah. are kind of guessing as to maybe it's because he has been quite uh, front and centre in a lot of different things like Brexit and the EU and now he he uh, he got quite a bit of attention at Davos as well. Um, I think he got he got it in the neck a few times about the corporate rate as well. It seems like a couple of uh, EU officials and different EU leaders came together and decided that they were going to take this year to lay it on the Irish politicians about their tax rate. It's it's a tricky thing. It's um, like you see, David. Like it's not. It, it wouldn't be offensive to call you left leaning. I guess. No, not at all. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I so yeah. you um, you simultaneously saying that. Um, us keeping our taxes low and not taking money off corporations is good for the people of Ireland, which is a tricky thing to get your head around, but that's that's the paradox sure. that it is. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, David's what's a complicated the famous, man. The famous quote from House of Cards about hypocrisy, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be politics if it wasn't hypocritical. So, um, Well, anyway, look, I mean, was it something like 7% of the Irish workforce are directly elected by multinationals? So that's works out at about, I think, 90,000 people or something. So you couldn't just tell the corporations to... Yeah, directly employed. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of people. And, you, I mean, it would be an awful thing if they all just upped and left to somewhere else that had a, a similar tax regime if, if we hiked our taxes. So, you know, balance has to be found in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there wasn't really much else coming out of Davos. Um, apparently, Theresa May gave a speech, and it was pretty badly attended. Whereas <laughs> you couldn't get it, you could you couldn't get into the room when Macron was uh, giving his speech. Probably, I guess, standing on top of a couple of phone books, so you could see him over the the, the podium. But um, man, it's like a rock and roll show where he's just a headliner, and Theresa May's like I got the the like one p.m. slot at Oxygen where everyone's just hung over. Yeah, <laughs> she's, that, Sunday. <laughs> she's yeah. that she's that band from the '90s that did that song that you can remember how it goes, but you can't remember what they're called. Yeah, they had that song that Karen Sharon's had, I think, maybe last year. <laughs> yeah, oh, she's, she's not even that recent. No. Yeah, so um, she she wasn't too happy with that, and some people were speculating that maybe it's a comment on. Britain's declining status in the world. But I don't know. I think it's just people don't like Theresa yeah. May, to be honest. Yeah, not not the I most think charismatic. She's, she's, She's pretty meagre at the moment and, and I'm not sure her kind of firebrand stuff before the previous election uh, in her rhetoric and it's kind of been massively toned back. Yeah, well, it didn't really work out for her there, uh, I suppose. No, it didn't. And so I think she's kind of taken a step back um, and just kind of keeping the head down to kind of hope the attention doesn't really focus too much on her uh, because she's facing into an awful election in May that the local elections are, are happening again in May and uh, I think all of the London borough seats are up for election and it's looking like uh, the Tories could lose pretty badly there. So, you know, uh, there'll be the whole prospect of a potential another leadership challenge after that. Well, sure, look, we'll deal with that when it comes to it. Um, at the yeah. moment, we will leave the rich people in the mountains of Switzerland and move <laughs> on to US immigration. There's been quite a bit going on uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, they're still trying to figure that can of worms out. Uh, Richie, explain it to us now. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. Okay. Pressure. Yeah. The whole so thing. The, whole, the whole thing start to finish. <laughs> okay. Uh, so last Thursday, uh, which is what, the 25th? Yeah, 25th. The Trump administration released some details on their new immigration proposal. Uh, so it seems that Trump is softening softening a little bit on his um, his DACA stance. Do we need to yeah. do, do we need to explain what DACA is or sure yeah for, give the world yeah 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 so it's um stands for De- deferred action for childhood arrivals they're also called dreamers dreamers yeah yeah um it's a piece of uh, American immigration policy that allows for basically the like the kids of illegal immigrants who who are residing within America to be given like a deferred period from deportation and allow them to pursue a path to um legality in the country to be eligible to like apply for a work permit and it affects a lot of people something like what 800,000 700,000 800,000 people currently in America right now like huge numbers but about what I think in September the Trump administration moved to rescind this but not that there a little halt was put on that for like six months well to allow for Congress to kind of figure out what's going to happen to these 700,000 800,000 individuals Um, but on Thursday uh, Trump came out and he seems to have softened a little bit on the stance, like I said, and he's he's proposing uh, a new, like a, some new policy that would allow for like 1.8 million undocumented immigrants to become U.S. citizens 
over wow. a certain period, like 10 to 12, something like 10 to 12 years. The word he actually used was um, uh, morph into U.S. citizens, <laughs> which, <laughs> like, which I enjoyed the, the Pokemon uh, connotation to that. <laughs> like, Sorry to, uh, to go with the stereotype chance, but does that mean like uh, larger waist, waistlines and uh, more, more crass manners in public places? <laughs> Here's your rare candy you can level yeah. up now. Oh, no. yeah. oh look, <laughs> illegal immigrant is evolving. <laughs> <laughs> um, press B to cancel, said Trump. Uh, um, oh, but yeah, so that so that was one part of this uh, this this immigration reform. Um, there was more parts to it as well. There's like um, a proposed twenty five billion dollar funding for border security. The wall. Um, yeah, including, well, it's it's not just, it's like, they use, I think, the term infrastructure. So the wall is obviously like the, the, the obvious kind of connotation there, but it's also other other technologies and other ways of policing or patrolling that, that, that piece of land. Like there was a, a bipartisan council, I think, that's working on like solutions or ways they could tackle that, that particular issue. And they've mentioned stuff like drones, maybe using drone technology to police large expanses of land would be a far more cost-effective route than just, you know, an inanimate wall. So so that 25 billion could factor into that yeah. kind of, you know, more tech-based investment, I guess. And there's other things as well. Like th- like those two things alone apparently are, are a little bit more palatable for, for like Democrats to accept, but there's other things like closing certain loopholes and affecting the... Uh, like the familial approach to obtaining a green card. They want to change so that you can only be granted uh, citizenship if you are like the child or the spouse yeah. of an American citizen. And those would be the only circumstances, like not if you're, say, like a, like an adult child of an American citizen, you wouldn't qualify. Or if you're like a parent or some other mm-hmm. more tenuous connection, you would now no longer be able to apply for a green card. And that affects like huge, that's like 25% to 50% of the green cards that are handed out. Like that's absolutely mm-hmm. huge numbers. And so for, the, for, for, for those reasons, it seems like it's going to be a little bit harder to swallow in terms of a direction to head immigration wise. Chance, uh, what's the word on, in the US about these things? Like we, immigration pops up as, a, as a, an apparently important topic in most of our coverage of the US politics. But is it actually something that is still on the minds of people so far after the, the Trump election where he made it core? Well, first, uh, just uh, a point of clarification, the DREAM Act it was never passed. Dream is would be something like a permanent solution. Yeah. DACA is what it is. It's it's deferred action. So what, what a Dream Act would do is to actually make a definite path for the for the kids that came over with um, illegal immigrants t- to be permanent residents. So, so when a pathway to citizenship. When they call them the dreamers, they're only referencing the fact that they could use this dreamer legislation to make them legit. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. And uh, I think the reason that immigration is still kind of at the forefront is that it was really the core of how Trump appealed to his base during the election. And he's and he's 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 very aware of that. Sure. You you go back. Right. And you look at his speeches and, you know, what was the thing that everyone went crazy about? It was the wall. Uh, He got, you know, that was what riled the crowd up. That's what everyone was, you know, chanting about when they went to his his rallies and his, you know, campaign speeches. And then, you know, the people that are on the other side that are for, you know, immigration, mainly for giving the kids under DACA a way to stay in this country permanently, you know, they have to respond to that. So it's it's definitely still a very divisive issue. It's just worth saying that they're not even necessarily kids. Most of them are, in fact, fully grown adults who have been raised in the United States, educated there, gone to college there. And most of them are like mm. in full time employment with lives. Oh, no, yeah, that's the thing. It's 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 very much a human rights issue. Yeah. David, um, do you, have you noticed that the Democrats have seemed to been using the tactic over the last six months or so, or certainly since Trump came to power to um, tie in the sorting out of immigration and DACA in to the approval or not of the budget and every time we come to the crunch time yeah um, on the budget negotiations it is usually because the democrats are looking for promises to try and get it sorted do you think that's a good political tactic to use these stack of people as leverage it's not fair on the people themselves i think politically speaking it's 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 an okay strategy but i think i think trump is is kind of playing it back at them um and uh, from what i can see i think it's a win-win for trump domestically for his own base because what what he's saying is, you know, he's saying to the Democrats, I'll give you 1.6 million people who over time can become American citizens. But in return, I want $25 billion to build the 
uh, proverbial wall or physical wall, depending on, on what he wants to, to spend the money on. So if the Democrats go for that, it's it's a win in his book. You know, it's him, the art of the deal. He's doing what he said he would do, uh, protecting the border, uh, while it's also protecting the jobs of these people, because many of them are working or studying, they're living sure. in the United States. And then turning back to like the Rust Belt states where he was campaigning hard on jobs and saying, look what I did. I've closed the border. I've got the money. I've secured it. If the Democrats don't buy it, well, then the deal doesn't happen. He turns around and he says, right, the Democrats want to let all these illegal immigrants in to, to you know, to hurt jobs. You know, they're terrorists. They're all just the kind of you know, the rhetoric that he'll use. Yeah. Um, so I think he's kind of backed the Democrats into a corner here. And I think they would probably just be better off letting him have the win on this one. I mean, just, I mean, we're talking about a lot of people here who are affected and, uh, you know, they deserve the right to stay where they are. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it's not their fault that they ended up in the United States. Um, yeah. So, Richie, you're a refugee of uh, Trump's America. Um, you you, <laughs> mm-hmm. you ran away. Um, what's your take on what's going on yeah, over it's, there? It's, I'm like a, a white Irish man. Like, I have not experienced any of the, the severity that other people going through similar immigration issues over there have dealt with. But just from my own perspective, while I was there, I tried three different times to get like a H-1B visa or a green card all these different things like whether it was the diversity lottery or just general sponsorship through my company and I couldn't get it uh, because it's already so tight and just the idea of this further restriction on on immigration I just I just know how bad it would be for the country as a, as a whole like economically and culturally um the closing down and the tightening up of this of this proverbial noose is just not something that is is really going to benefit them at all in the long term and that kind of breaks my heart somewhat on a more, a more emotional level just knowing what they're doing to their own levels of diversity and their own um, sense of identity like another thing that i forgot to mention sorry when i was introing this is like they are looking to cut the diversity lottery yeah um, which is the green card lottery that's open to, to to anyone and now that's going to be completely gone and like i said that's 25 to 50 percent of green card applications with this and and the other changes are going to just be gone. And that's thousands and thousands of lives and improvements to America that are going to be affected. Yeah, it's not likely that um, Congress or Trump are going to get this thing sorted in the next couple of weeks. Um, I think the next crunch deadline over the uh, budget is coming up in February. So likely we're going to hear this um, being fought about a lot more and we will cover it as it happens. Um, So another big story over recent time is that Turkey have invaded northern Syria. Um, David, you've been looking a into this do you want to take it away yeah so just in the last few days uh the turkish military by the instruction of their president erdogan have uh effectively invaded northern syria an attempt to kind of root out the kurdish forces that have kind of made that region their home uh during the civil war i suppose the, the main problem with this whole thing is that the united states has backed the kurds in an attempt to support the fight against bashar al-assad as well as ISIS, Erdogan and Turkey look at the Kurdish as their enemy because the Kurdish have a, a long history with, with Turkey. They have their own independence movement. They, they want their own independent state of Kurdistan. So Yeah, they're called um, they're called the largest nation without a state, I believe. Western Iraq. Because yeah. they're spread across uh, northern Syria, eastern Turkey, western Iran, and a huge part of northern Iraq as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Kurdish are essentially what, what I mean, Turkey looks at those uh, at them as, as terrorists. And, and, and Erdogan is using that rhetoric. Um, we're kind of going back to this, um, what what was kind of traditionally known as kind of strongman politics. And you have Trump going up against Erdogan, both kind of larger than life characters using unbelievably inflationary rhetoric. Um, and I, just, I can't see it ending well. Um, I saw just in the news this morning, uh, Reuters were reporting that Erdogan had said that he would clean the, the border. He, he would clean the region, which is outrageous language to use yet um so uh, we're all looking now as to what donald trump will do uh will he double down on the support for the for the kurdish militias in northern syria does he weaken uh, his support for for that militia and then you know uh lose prominence in the region iran russia are also moving in to syria setting up military bases doing deals with assad um well, not iran well iran are moving in with 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 bases um but they're not in they're, they're against um, they're against Bashar al-Assad. They're on different sides. Yeah, and you've got ISIS to boot, who are also still kind of lingering in the area, and uh, and Al Qaeda also. So, 
it's a bit of an orgy of a conflict. Um, how it- it's it's extremely hard to to like wrap your head around. Yeah. yeah, the reason like I've been like I've been trying, and it's there's so many moving pieces. Yeah, to it. I mean like the United States and Turkey traditionally had an okay relationship, particularly in terms of military. Yeah, Turkey's and, in NATO. Yeah, and now I mean that relationship is now jeopardized. Uh, even before this happened, Erdogan and Trump had been kind of trading barbs. But whether this now manifests itself in sort of some sort of a proxy war where Donald Trump is or the US military is is kind of funding the Kurdish militias in the area and just having an, an outright kind of war with Turkey. Um, well, it's um, there's at the moment the uh, the Turkish forces are in a couple of the towns um, along the border, but not too far away from there, um, there are actual American soldiers presently stationed helping the uh, the Kurdish forces, and they have been there for quite a while. Yeah. So I mean, there's a possibility now that American troops are going to have to decide if they're actually going to be there in a conflict between the Kurds and Turkey, or if they're going to back off. And and even more worryingly, still, I think in, in the last few years, I mean, there's in the region itself, there's been something like three or 400,000 people of displaced people who have located there, most of them refugees, uh, some of them not even from Syria. Um, you know, they, they could have come from Iraq, um, uh, even as far as Afghanistan or, or even Palestine. So um, it's it's going to yeah, turn into a, into a... Yeah, it's a huge mess and it's going to turn into a, another kind of crisis in, in that region, um, which was relatively stable uh, up, until, up until the last kind of yeah, week or so. Um, and I, I think the... The potential involvement of Russia probably um, uh, shouldn't be understated because, like, I mean, regardless of what Trump thinks, you know, Putin is still very much someone who's in the Cold War mindset. Um, And I mean, Putin is going to see this as a way to force the issue between the United States and Turkey. And I would guess that anything Putin does is going to be to that end. So would you, would you say that Putin is trying to flip Turkey from being a U.S. ally to being a Russian ally? I don't think he's necessarily trying to make it a Russian ally. I think he's just trying to make the relationship harder. Because, I mean, you think about, like, traditionally what Turkey has represented, right? That's that's the United States being able to put, like, missiles, for example, in Turkey has always been to Russia like, the most pressing existential threat. Yeah, but not just that, but they control they control the entrance to the is it the Caspian Sea? Black Sea. Is that the Black, Black sea? sea? Okay, yeah, so the Black yeah. Sea, which is um oh. it's pretty much one of Russia's main uh, naval ports. Yeah. Um so there's that and then yeah, and then I think otherwise just the historical context of the borders that were drawn after Colonialism. I'll stick up a link in the show notes to a pretty good book that was brought out recently called Lines in the Sand. Um, historian looks at those li- those lines that were drawn on the map after World War One, where um, he he posits that quite a lot of the problems that are going wrong now come from there. Um, so look, we'll leave uh, Syria and its conflict for now, but no doubt that is not going to get resolved before we uh, return. Um, quickly, uh, David, you yes, live in Berlin. I do. Uh, you're, the country you live in doesn't actually have technically a federal government at the moment. What's up with that? Uh, yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's it's not as bad as Belgium a few years ago. I think they went... Uh, they went over a year. A year, over a year without a government. Um, yeah. So uh, in Germany, we had the federal elections uh, on the 24th of September last year. The election was largely dominated by immigration and the refugee crisis. Uh, the economy doesn't tend to get a decent look in, uh, mostly because the German economy has been trundling along at a good pace and most of the political parties are kind of happy just to leave it be. So other issues, uh, particularly like the refugee crisis, kind of took a massive uh, a massive step forward in terms of what the, uh, the different political parties and pundits were talking about. So to that end, what happened during the election was the, the far-right AFD party, which is the alternative for Deutschland, uh, made huge gains, uh, mostly on the back of um, kind of soft CSU support to the right and CDU support, and then also some of the working class vote from the SPD, which is their centre-left Social Democrats. Um, the C- CDU dropped 65 seats, the SPD dropped 40 seats uh, between them, and uh, the rest of the smaller parties made gains, along with the AFD, who took 94 seats, or 12.6% of the vote. Um, it's With the electoral system here, the 
the party has to get at least 5% of the national vote to be able to take their seats. Otherwise, the votes are redistributed, or the seats are redistributed, rather. So, as a result of this, uh, Angela Merkel didn't lose her, uh, didn't lose the title as the biggest party, but had to go back into the prospect of another government negotiation. Um, The SPD, after taking a hammering, uh, couldn't or can't at the time, or couldn't at the time, go back in with Angela Merkel. And that leaves the third largest party, the the AFD, as well. So uh, Angela Merkel sat down with the Liberals, the FDP, and with the Greens to try and form what they call a Jamaican government, uh, the black, green, and yellow of the three respective parties. And the Liberals pulled out. Um, and that was just before Christmas, I think, uh, towards the end of November. What was it? Um, what was it that, that? What was their sticking point? Why I, did they pull out? Do you know what? I actually, I, I, I can't recall exactly. I know. I think it might have been immigration. Actually, it potentially could have been. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but then that kind of left Angela Merkel in, in a bit of a bind. Um, so they were kind of courting with the SPD for a while, um, and it seems as if the the base of the SPD or the, the voting base of the SPD. Uh, are reluctant to go back into government. Um, They had a conference two weeks ago or last week and they voted to enter into talks uh, with with the CDU to see if they can form some form of government. Um, Again, it's not widely supported. Uh, Martin Schultz, who's the leader of the SPD, is, 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 it seems like he's eager to go into government um, and he's kind of pushing like a Eurocentric kind of message. Uh, he actually called for a United States of Europe. Uh, yeah, as kind of, Yeah, as, as kind of like a, like I'm not going into government unless Angela Merkel confirms that we kind of push for this at a European level. Um, and like, was he being, is he being um, like poetic with his choice of language? There, no, or is he literally no, not at all. No, for... he's, I've, I've, I've met the man. Um, he's, he's, you know, not very poetic <laughs> at <Right>. all. Very <laughs> literal. <laughs> very, very literal. Like most Germans. Um, you know, they, you, they kind of, no, you, you take them as they come and they say what they mean. So, uh, when, so when he says he wants the United States of Europe, he literally means that. And again, I'm, I'm, like for me as a supporter of, of, of that political party, I was kind of cringing at that a little bit because I was like, you lost a lot of your vote uh, on the basis that people are kind of afraid of immigration and, and this kind of thing. So I was like, he could have chose his words a hell of a lot better. Um, so I can't see that being a, like a realistic prospect of the outcome of these talks that, that Merkel's going to say, right, yeah, cool. Let's kind of have like the uh, United States of Europe in a, in the style of the United States of America. Um, so at the moment they're having those talks and we're still not sure what the hell's going to happen. Um, the big concern is that if they do go into power together again in the grand coalition, uh, that leaves the AFD as the main opposition party with just 13% of the vote. Um, sure. And I mean, being the main opposition party grants you access to uh, usually like a, a chairpersonships of multiple committees, uh, a platform, a national platform. Um, and or speaking the, time in, in the oh, Bundestag and stuff yeah, like that. Absolutely. They're, they're, they're essentially like the German equivalent of UKIP if, if, if in, in the United <laughs> Kingdom, if, if that's, uh, that's what they're like. So it's kind of all up in the air at the moment still, and it'll be another few weeks before anything is kind of resolved. So if they can't get a government agreement together, one that's palatable to both sides, is the most likely result then another election? Yes, yeah, and that won't bode well for for either of the the, the kind of government parties, the, the CDU and the SPD. You, you think the voters are going to punish them for not being able to get the government together? I think I, I don't think they want the voters wanted the same government. I just don't think that the voters left the CDU and the SPD in enough numbers to kind of force an alternative coalition. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the SPD will be able to have a crack at it if the CDU, if that kind of, if, if the talks collapse between the two parties, uh, the SPD will be able to poss- possibly form Maybe some sort of a coalition with the Liberals, the Greens and the Linke, uh, which is the Socialist Party who got uh, just over 9% of the vote. Uh, they could potentially form a, form a government, but it would be a flimsy one at best. 
Okay, well, look, um, I'm sure the Germans are going to keep on the negotiating and we will come back to it as they wrap it up. Um, speaking of wrapping up, um, we will start to bring this podcast to a close. So we are going to um, share stories that we have found over the last two weeks that we thought are um, too interesting to let go. And we're going to call this segment our pod takes, uh, riff on the hot takes um, vernacular that seems to be so popular these days. So um, Chance, do you want to give us uh, your pod take? over the two weeks yeah so i'm gonna go back to those uh tariffs the um the tariffs that, oh, that trump's putting taxes. on we love uh, taxes <laughs> yes on um on washing machines and solar panels <laughs> which i mean is <laughs> right so it's you know it's directed at south korea and china which is interesting because this you know this is all part of his um america first deal right i think it's a very naive way of doing it because you know one of the first things he did uh, when he became president was pull out of the TPP, the you know the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, it was moved on, which is moved on without the United States. And just to say, it's negotiations uh, for a TPP. It isn't actually like a formal agreement yet. Right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and yeah, and, uh, and those talks are now you know they're going on between um, between Canada and you know a lot of other um, nations in in Asia, and uh, there are other trade talks that I think haven't been talked about as much, but there's something called the um, RCEP, the uh, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, which would be between um, the ASEAN nations, um, which are uh, includes like um, Vietnam and Malaysia and a lot of the uh, Southeast Asian nations. Uh, it would include Australia, New Zealand, and it would include China. And this is the RCEP was kind of China's answer to the TPP because China was being left out of the TPP. And um, the TPP was kind of supposed to be like a free trade deal that was going to diminish China's um, yeah, it's part economic of the, leverage. It's part of the China the area. Con- the, the idea of containing China as it as it rises as a superpower, like a balance with America. Right. So now, like with with these tariffs and with pulling out of these trade deals, the United States is kind of leaving itself in a very isolated position, and it's given you know China ev- like everything that they've wanted basically i you know the united states is not involved in any sort of trade deal in um in their sphere of influence and now they've got an exclusive one and they've got a kind of western based one that doesn't involve the united states so when you add these tariffs to the mix it's um you can you can take it as far as saying okay you know this is the first salvo of a of a kind of trade war between the united states and china and it just it, it doesn't make sense to me strategically because if it is the first salvo in in what's going to become a trade war, the United States is already behind. Like like China like China's already been given all of the advantages if a trade war happens, and they've already got the advantage of a much bigger population. So, I the, you know, the tariffs don't make sense, especially because tariffs. What what you're trying to do there is, I would think, is Trump saying. Let's build more washing machines and solar panels here. Maybe you can do the former, but the, the United States doesn't have much of a um, solar cell, solar panel industry uh, here. And it it's not something that's just going to be built up overnight. So when the history books come back to look at what may potentially start a World War Three between China and the US, it could have been the washing machines. I mean, if you want to take it that far, sure, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I just did. Okay, so, uh, Richie, what's your pod take? Uh, my pod take is a... Um, there was an article written in The Guardian uh, by uh, Keza McDonald, who's their video game editor. Uh, video, I'm a big nerd, so video games and the video games industry is something I'm quite interested in. But she wrote this wonderful article um, that talking about how that industry, the video game industry, has yet to have its Me Too movement. Um, oh, which, is kind, yeah. which is kind of crazy, considering how closely it's tied to the entertainment industry as a whole, and how big that movement is now, and how it's, how it's been building up momentum. Um, and it's not because like there isn't uh, equivalent amounts of discrimination or, or or misconduct in that industry because the games industry is literally seventy nine percent male. There was yeah. like an, an independent study done on the on the gender breakdown and it's staggeringly seventy nine percent male. And there's also knowing the 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 behind the scenes of how games are made. There's also a lot of like power strata, like different layers of people all the way from like your you know your directors down to your um more junior like developers working on 
animation cycles or whatever. So anything that has that level of like seventy nine percent male, but also all those power structures, like there, there definitely is um, discrimination and, and sexual misconduct, and it, and it has been documented. But she's been theorizing in this article that it's 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 not because it's not happening, but it's because women don't want to be misreported on or, or victimized or have these, you know, relive these traumatic experiences in a public forum. Um, because I don't know if you guys are familiar with, um, I think that happened back in 2014 called Gamer Gamer Gamergate. Sure, yeah. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there was like that huge harassment campaign that like just targeted females working in the game industry in a, in a vicious and very public way. And this is causing this, um, almost like a withdrawal or a hesitancy to have like a similar movement. And she was just breaking down what that means now for 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 women in the industry and how even though it's it hasn't it's not being talked about um and uh, in the same way as the entertainment industry is we shouldn't also be like you know quote unquote asking for receipts um reaching out to women who work in the video game industry and like prompting and prompting and prompting like do you have harassment stories do you blah 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 because apparently that's happening now as well <laughs> because uh, you know it's it's a major talking point it's you know good for SEO and everyone wants to be the person to break the next like hashtag me too thing mm-hmm. and the video games industry is ripe for it and it was interesting because it's not something I ever thought about um, until I until I read that article but it's right there and I think it will happen I for sure think it will happen there's already been some rumblings about it um, in, in small little ripples and they'll eventually build up I think like um, uh, IGN I think had to let go of someone and, and Vox Media's uh, one of their subsidiaries called Polygon they also had to let go of a video producer because of some inappropriate comments uh-huh. that they made so these kind of things are happening but they just the momentum isn't there and it's all kind of bubbling under the surface um, but it's one to keep an eye on and it's one to actually learn from in terms of how it's discussed I think and how it's articulated sure that uh, just is super interesting David pod take so my podcast pod take hot take is um news has been pretty inescapable in, in Germany in the last week uh, was that yesterday was the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz by um, by uh, by the Soviet forces in World War II um, it was prominent in, in most of the the medias here and also where I work uh, which is called Theodor Heusplatz uh, used to be called Adolf Hitlerplatz and there was oh. like a like a protest. <laughs> there was like a protest when demonstration there. When did they change there. that? Just can you clarify um, when did they change that? I think that it was nineteen forty six, nineteen forty seven. I think I think oh, okay. I'm open to correction. Like yesterday. Yeah, I'm open to correction <laughs> on this, but I think Theodor Heuss was I think the first Chancellor of Germany after Adolf Hitler. I I open to correction, but that's why they 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 changed the name anyway. They could have changed it to not the Adolf Hitler Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> they changed lots of the names in the city. Um, but interestingly enough, one of the roads that leads into the square is is called Reichstrasse, which they never changed, um, which I found interesting. Wow. But um, Well, in fairness, it, like that was the third Reich, so you can't dismiss the, the yeah, two Reichs before that. Yeah. The connotations are there, though. Um, mm. But uh, But my kind of hot take was that uh, in the previous year 2017 we had uh, a lot of news about the the kind of growth of the the far right and the alt right um and then in particular the discussion uh amongst kind of liberals and young liberals was was the use of violence um against those people so you had the whole you know hashtag punch a nazi kind of yeah. kind of campaign and I was kind of thinking in, in work and I was looking out my window at, at these kind of protesters and I was kind of imagining you know a similar group of people who are who could be meeting in any country in Europe at the moment for the opposite reason you know for people who are kind of meeting with the ambition to discuss and further their kind of far-right ideologies um, so my, my hot take was that in terms of violence against uh, against Nazis would be that I would say that those people are choosing uh, an ideology of violence. So any act of violence against that person is purely self-defense. So that was my my hot take of the week. Okay. This is but not yeah. this is not an endorsement by Newsy for anyone to go out and punch anybody. <laughs> just to say, yeah. um, I didn't think I'd have to put a caveat on, into the podcast, but I will. <laughs> but just here in we case. are. <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna. My hot take is uh, got to do with hot squirts. So <laughs> Donald Trump requested. Oh, oh um, <laughs> no caveats. <laughs> Donald Trump um, administration, uh, certainly the White House, anyway. We're not sure what actual department requested a an original Van Gogh um, be moved into the White. 
White House, I believe even into the residence of, into the bedroom of uh, Trump and presumably Melania. I mean, we can't make the assumption, but anyway, it, it, I believe it's 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 in a, uh, a museum in New York. Is, is it the Guggenheim? I can't remember. Um, yeah, I think it's the Guggenheim. I think it's the Guggenheim, but um, they received a pretty, uh, a pretty witty response, if you want to call it that, from the uh, curator at the museum saying, uh, no, you can't have the uh, Van Gogh, but you can have this a solid gold toilet that we had installed in the museum last year that was used by over 100,000 patrons. It's a fully functional gold toilet that they had in the museum that people came in and used 100,000 times and she suggested that the White House take that instead. Um, So I... She could. She. I think that she should have just said no. <laughs> I personally don't think she necessarily had to follow up with the uh, offer of a golden toilet, not just because it's kind of offensive. At because you have to remember the Trump, Trump the Trump, Trump presidency will end either by him choking on a KFC chicken bone or by him being impeached and having to leave, or either his term ending this time or the next time if he gets re-elected but he will not be president sometime and I just because he has come in and done a dirty protest all over what the office of the presidency was I don't think it's a good idea to disrespect it so much so offering him a golden toilet is all well and good but you have to remember that it's still the president of the United States and she should have just said no for whatever reason um, also he definitely has golden toilets already, so it was a total. Right. Mood, it was a total moot point. He's <laughs> like, well, that will complete my collection. <laughs> yeah, I put I, next I to think, my gold bidet. <laughs> I think I remember that magazine article. Yeah, I saw it also in like the nineties. <laughs> Do you think okay. was it just a, a, on the on the part of the uh, museum? It was just their their way of okay, here's some PR we can get. Like this is this well, will be a funny story that will be reported on, and perhaps. But it actually took a couple of months, if not nearly a year, for the story to surface because it was a it was a mm. private it was a private email exchange that exchange that wasn't leaked by the museum. So it looks like someone in the White House actually leaked it. Oh um, wow! Okay, yeah, but in, in in saying that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the uh, museum didn't know that would eventually happen, like all things right. do. Um, yeah. Well, something that someone mentioned is uh, when the toilet was in the museum, how come people didn't come in and chip bits off it? Yeah, did you get strip search before you went in for, uh, for a poo? I wonder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's the same reason we don't walk into a museum and you know chip a bit off the statue of david or or you know take a cut out of the mona lisa you know? speak for yourself david <laughs> they're not made of gold if i walk up with a little chip of marble and say i, I guarantee you this is one of david's toes yeah it's, it's a, you know whatever but i come up with a bit of gold yeah. it may have poop on it but it's still gold <laughs> yeah. anyway. guess what this used to be <laughs> uh, it is going to be on this fantastic um hot take that we're going to end the show uh thanks very much for listening you guys um, this is going to be a bi-monthly uh, show every two weeks. Go into your podcast app of your choice, search for Newsy and up pop up will our podcast pop and you subscribe. You guys can follow us on Twitter at NewsyPods and you can all also contact us on Gmail at uh, NewsyPods at gmail.com. And um, I will put up the uh, Twitter handles of the guys here as well if you want to follow their stuff. Um, they are all very insightful and witty men, so I would recommend it. Um, that's pretty much it. Thanks very much, guys, for... Um, coming on the show for the very first episode. Hopefully uh, we will have you all back on very soon. Hooray. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. See you later.